It's good to see you this morning, and uh, I would like to, and it really is good to see you, by the way. I, I look out and I see some people that I haven't seen for a while. It's great to see my brother, Alan, and Marty, and I see Vecheslav back there and his wife, and it's great to see you. I see others, too, I haven't seen for a while, and I even met some folks as I came in. Uh, I think I met Samuel, who's uh, um, Esther's, uh, is it Samuel, correct? Esther's brother. And I do see a similarity. I just want you to know. Um, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading verses 39 to 47. It's page 894 in your pew Bible. It's John chapter 8. So we picked this up in the middle of a debate, a real confrontation between Jesus and Uh, The Jews in Jerusalem, many of whom we've been told believed in him. But when John uses that word believe, it doesn't necessarily mean saving faith. But they uh, they did recognize that he was of God. But but that doesn't mean that everything was rosy. It surely was not. In the last uh, verses 37 and 38 of John 8 that I looked at last week, Jesus said, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This sets up the, the tension then in what follows. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of, that your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from him, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, I ask you now, please, to make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And may it be by the work of your Holy Spirit that we, everyone sitting in this room, that we all are um, of God. Well, you probably looked at the amen. You probably looked at the title of the sermon, The Problem of Evil, so you know where I'm headed, the focus of my remarks today really are exclusive, exclusively on verses 45 
and 44, 44, 45 of our passage, Jesus is confronting people here who would kill him and at the same time insist that God is their father. I mean, as much as they were Jews and God was the father of Israel. So I'm going to read again what Jesus said to them, the climax, I think, of the passage. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character or nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, not although or in spite of the fact, it's because I'm telling you the truth that you do not believe me. This is a meditation on evil today, and I'd like us to think about it uh, together, and I'll come back to these verses and uh, everything I come, uh, all my remarks leading up to my repeat of these verses do follow from them and also bear on them. You know, 77 times through the course of the Bible, evil is set off against what? Good. Exactly right. Evil is set off against good. Beginning with the tree of the knowledge of good and that's right. And from that very point, you have good and you have evil. If you think with me about Joseph in Genesis, uh, the end of Genesis, and how his jealous brothers had sold him into slavery, uh, one of the most famous lines in all of Scripture are his words to his brothers decades later after God used him to save them. He said to his brothers, as for you, you meant what against me? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for right. God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In other words, what Joseph was saying to his brothers was, you intended to harm me. God intended to help you. And it was God's purposes, not yours, that have really prevailed here. I think perhaps one of the best examples of good and evil understood in this way, best examples of good and evil being presented as good, beneficial things and evil as harmful or destructive things is in Job chapter 2, verse 10, after Job's family and his livelihood had been destroyed. His wife told him, curse God and die. Job responded, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not also receive? The text concludes, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, what is my point here as we begin this? My point is that Scripture often uh, looks at evil and speaks of evil on uh, what I would call uh, on the horizontal plane. It often speaks of evil and looks at evil in the way or in the terms that we experience evil, as harm or as injury that's being done to us or as death that's being done to us. That's the way it's presented. And so when evil comes at us, when we see evil coming at us, you know, on this earthly plane, on this horizontal plane, this is how we experience it. Uh, And it's a very limited understanding of evil. Um, It is accommodating our own limited frame of reference. When we talk about evil and good, when we understand evil in relation to good, harm uh, in relation to benefit or help or blessing, 
But I also want to say that in these same passages where evil is presented in a way that really accommodates the way we live and experience our daily lives, it's also true, sort of like the, uh, the part of the iceberg below the water, that God shows us the reality of evil that we cannot necessarily see and that there's so much more to evil than what we immediately experience. And when I say there's more to evil than what we immediately experience, I'm not talking about the hidden motives or schemes of people. I'm not talking about people at all. That would still be sort of the horizontal take on evil. But rather, what God reveals in these passages is what I'm going to call the vertical dimension of evil. Evil evil not only from the point uh, of view of how it affects us or any human intent toward us, the vertical dimension of evil takes into account the origin of evil, um, the very purpose or goal of evil, and how evil works, the nature or the, or the character of evil. Think with me about this for a moment. Let's just go back to the Garden of Eden for a second, where there was the tree of the knowledge of good and... Thank you. God warned Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... And in that phrase, the knowledge of good and evil, I think the key word is evil. I mean, the only knowledge that Adam had at that point was the knowledge of good, which included how to do good, trusting and loving God and obeying God as his father. This is good. This is, this is good. But to this was this warning that if you eat from this tree, you'll also have the knowledge of evil, This isn't some abstract or conceptual understanding of evil, some intellectual grasp of what evil is. This knowledge of evil included included knowing the, the toxic allure of evil and how evil, like a virus, co opts our desires and enslaves us. And God was warning Adam about that. And if you ask what lay what lay behind this then, what lay behind this, this evil, the answer is a lie. What lay behind this evil, this, at the root of this evil, is a, a lie. God said to Adam, in the day you eat of it, this tree, you shall surely die, the serpent said to Adam, you will not surely die. It's a lie. And what I want to say to you this morning is as we think about evil, if we want to mature, mature in our understanding of evil, the evil that affects you, I mean the evil that, 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 that hurts you, that, that harms you, that evil that is done to you or that to others, and you're an observer of it, that evil is inseparable from a lie that is intended to do worse. And the lie is slander against God to put you off from him. The lie that is inseparable from evil sounds like this when it begins resonating within your head. I am evil. Look at me. 
How can I exist? How can I do this to you and God be trustworthy? And God be worth your while, worth your time. Since I exist, I'm evil. Since I exist, blame God or deny God. Don't trust him. He is blameworthy. Do not worship him. He is unworthy. Job's wife got exactly this message from the evil and the harm they experienced when she said to her husband, curse God and die. And this lie is inseparable from evil. There is a toxic lie that's bound up with evil wherever evil is committed. And its purpose is not to harm you or kill you and you know, our sort of practical uh, earthly sense, but to destroy you to the uttermost. Evil is designed to implant in you a lie to harden your heart against God. And that spells your destruction. You think with me for just a moment about all the terrible things that happen in the world. Most Recently, or among the most recent, the torture and the slaughter of Christians and Yazidis and Muslims by ISIS. And of course, I don't mean this in a cliche way, the Holocaust of the Jews. Or before that, the Turkish slaughter of between one and two million Armenians. But evil doesn't merely declare There is no God. I exist, therefore there can be no God. Isn't it obvious? It doesn't merely declare this. It boasts of it. You understand the nature of evil? Evil doesn't just say there's no God. Evil says, I'm the proof there's no God. I am the evidence that there is no God. Since I exist, evil surely must not. And you know, that is the ultimate arrogance. That is the ultimate arrogance. It is the arrogance of evil bound up in its originator. And the Bible reveals that there is an originator of evil. And he is called the devil, which means slanderer or accuser. And he's called Satan, which means adversary. And when that word Satan is used, adversary, it's not referring to to Satan as the adversary of God, it's referring to Satan as the adversary of you, as your adversary. And he's a slanderer, first and foremost, of God, because he's your adversary. It's not only macro evil that makes its boast like this, it's a terminal disease that comes upon an individual. It's a violent crime that happens to someone. It's a ruinous addiction. And victims and observers alike hear the boast, just like Goliath taunting the army of Israel, where is your God now? Of course, you know what the psalm's response to that is. Do you know that? My God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. 
16 years ago, and some of you have heard something of this story before, but many of you haven't, that after sorrowing and grieving the murder of one of our members, Sue, and I finally saw the murderer in the courtroom when he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And for those years, over a year, before he had been identified and tried and sentenced, I have to tell you there were many times when I felt the slanderer's torment in my own soul because of the evil that had been done to Sue. And then I looked at this murderer, this man in the courtroom, and I was shocked. It's like somebody just punched me in the chest. He is no proof that God does not exist, and neither is the devil who hides behind him who masquerades from behind. Jesus said to these who wanted to kill him, Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, because it's the truth, you do not believe. In these words, Jesus forever underscores the vertical dimension of evil that we've been considering. The origin of evil, the devil, the goal of evil to murder, to utterly destroy, eternally destroy, to destroy forever, and then how evil works or the nature of evil, which is to propagate the big lie, whether this uh, is heard uh, as God, uh, as, as the idea of God or faith in God or the existence of God, the big lie is it is, this is unworthy. He is not worthy. So, While it's true to speak about evil and good and juxtapose those, it's the way we experience it in this life, harm and benefit, it is truer to reality. It is truer to reality to juxtapose these ideas. Evil versus truth. Evil versus truth. Again, hear our Lord's five-fold refrain in how he describes evil the devil. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He is a liar and the father of lies. The five-fold description of the evil one and the five-fold description of lie, of, of, of evil. So when we think about evil, It's not evil versus good. It's not simply evil and good. It's fine to talk in those terms. But if we would grow and be mature, we would really understand that where we have the presence of evil, the issue is is evil versus the truth. Evil juxtaposed with the truth. Because evil exists to undermine and to deny the truth. Evil exists to make you an atheist. That is why it exists. 
And that's why when evil happens to us, you know, on the one hand, it seems very existential. It might be very sort of, you know, material or, uh, you know, interpersonal, uh, uh, involved material things, physical things. There is this, you cannot deny it, there is a spiritual dimension and you hear that voice in your head and it comes to you. Because evil is not simply a horizontal experience. It's a profound experience, more profound than that. Here are implications, three implications of sharing Jesus' perspective that the real contest, the real issue, the most foundational issue involving evil is truth. It's truth. The truth of God. The first implication of this is that to conclude... To conclude, because evil exists, there is no God, that's really little different from concluding that because deceit exists, there's no truth. Neither conclusion is a result of accepting reality, but of becoming severed from reality and isolated in order to be destroyed. To be separated and severed from what matters most. Because evil exists, there is no God, is a non sequitur. In other words, it doesn't follow. Because evil exists, the one thing that is thereby proved is that, what? Evil exists. And given the deceitful nature of evil, given the disastrous intent of evil, I say to you this morning, the very last thing we should do is to rely on evil to inform and shape any conception we have of God. Wasn't that Job's lesson? Wasn't that what God told Job? Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I created the earth? You say, you know, if... If I were God, I would be all-loving and all-powerful. And if I was all-loving and if I was all-powerful, there would be no, no evil. And what is, Job, what is Job taught by God? What does God teach Job? Well, guess what, Job? You are not all-loving and you are not all-powerful. And you do not know what you're talking about. second implication is that although we equate evil with harm, this is very important. Evil is about something that is more fundamental than harming you or hurting you. Evil is about cutting you off from the truth. And what this means is, the second implication is that very often evil may not involve any apparent harm at all. It may come to you and look very helpful. Paul says Satan often comes masquerading, isn't that right, as an angel of light? I mean, the toxin of evil can be embedded in a, in a, a bitter pill, sure, but it can also be embedded in a very sweet 
pill. The question isn't what harm this, this person who wants to love you or this ideology that promises deliverance for uh, the poor or the oppressed. The question isn't the question is not what harm can this, these things, these experiences, these exposures do to us. The question is, the question is, what is its relation? What is this person's relationship to the truth? And if he, she, it, that thing, that experience, if it lies about God, if it lies about God, That is not a minor thing. And for the sake of God, he's worth it. Object. Object to that person who says they would love you. Object to that that ideology that makes its promise. Object to that job or that career that requires you to enter into and to support a lie. Because its purpose is to destroy you, the evil one's purpose. And there is an originator behind evil. So it doesn't always appear harmful at all. That's secondary. It's about truth. The third implication I'm going to draw with you is this. That the truth of God is the only deliverance from evil from its blasphemous deceit and its destruction. Jesus is the truth of God incarnate. Constantly, Jesus is experiencing, you know, the demonic openly, overtly. Constantly, evil is coming at him because he really is the answer. He is God's deliverance for us from evil. He Jesus is the antidote to every lie ever told about God. Every time I've ever doubted, My faith in God. Every time I've ever doubted God, I always end up going back to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus. He's the antidote to every lie ever told about God. And what's more, God sent him to be our deliverer from death. Our gospel writer, John, later wrote in 1 John, his first epistle, as we call it, that the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of God of the devil, yes, indeed, to destroy the works of the devil, all the works of the devil. And all those things that he did, he did to free us from death and to give us life, even bearing our guilt for having embraced lies about our creator when we really did know better or should have and acting out evil ourselves, even the extent of bearing our own. And so it's, I believe it's only to keep us from continuing in the deceit of evil or being subject to the deceit of evil that Jesus made this incredible statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. So folks, it comes down to this. The devil comes to you directly or indirectly and says, look at me. I am evil. God cannot exist. And next to that stands your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, no, look at me. God exists. 
You must make your choice. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the words of the Son spoken here are the words of the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for this, this portion of your word and ask you to apply it to our hearts and minister comfort and deliverance to us and forgiveness as well. Lord, you know, Lot was vexed. His soul was vexed by the evil in Sodom and Gomorrah. It tormented him. Satan was strong there. And I know that we're subject to something of the same thing. And I pray you give us real clarity. Understand. This, this is not simply about evil or good. This is about evil. Contradicting and denying truth keep us strong I pray in Jesus name Amen